0: Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you, I expect, will have noticed that Hebrews is a book packed full of Old Testament references and quotes, that God inspired the writer of Hebrews to quote from the Old Testament a lot. And the verses we're going to read today are no different, they're full of ...references and quotes to Old Testament scripture. And the fact that this book is so steeped in Old Testament scripture and references... ...can make it feel challenging for us to read at times. But it's not incidental. It's not simply full of those references because the first audience to who this was written, were all from a Jewish background. And therefore, they would have been familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, much of which we now have as the Old Testament. That's not the primary reason that this book is packed so full of references and quotes. If we think that's the case, then we'll miss the point of much of what's found in this book. You see, God, in his wisdom sent Christ Jesus at a particular time to a particular people on purpose. It wasn't incidental. We've already this afternoon talked and sung and and worshipped a bit about God's plan, his sovereignty. James opened up Psalm 80 and, and shared with us a bit about that earlier the unfolding plan of God that we see outworked from the beginning to end and the book of Hebrews really helps us to grasp some of that See, it wasn't a product of chance that Christ came when he did, where he did God didn't just wait until it seemed like a good idea or an opportune moment to send Jesus, he wasn't just They weren't kind of waiting together, having conspired that Christ would come to rescue his people. They weren't then kind of sat waiting for the right kind of cultural moment to happen. Oh, this is it. Quick, go. You don't want to miss it. That's not how it happened. No, God spent time setting the scene, preparing for the arrival of Christ. Ensuring that when he came, he would come into a context that people would be able to understand why he'd come. and Who he was. God lovingly and patiently spent hundreds and hundreds of years preparing a people for the arrival of Christ. The law the sacrificial system, the priesthood, all of these things we find as we open up the Old Testament scripture, the Exodus, the promised land, all of these different events, all of these moments were there to prepare a people for the arrival of Christ. And if we try to understand who Jesus is or why he came, apart from that context, then we're just going to totally miss the point. It was necessary that people understood the problem in order that they would be ready for the solution. See, God, in his wisdom, established the law, the temple system, the priests, the sacrificial system, so that people would see and be reminded over and over and over again that he was a holy God. And that because of our sin... We had separated ourselves from him. It was not possible for us to commune with him and be in intimate relationship with him. And so, festival after festival, Sabbath after Sabbath, sacrifice after sacrifice, God's people were being reminded, your sin has separated from you, you from me. And, and your sin has a consequence. The wages of sin is death, it's separation from God, the giver of life. There's a huge curtain in the temple, like a massive keep-out sign. There's a children's storybook that we've, we've actually we've used as a church a couple of years ago, and my children always enjoyed, called The Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. And It's just come to mind because it talks about the curtain there as a giant keep-out sign, and there's this refrain that goes through the book. That actually we see throughout the Old Testament and throughout these things that would lead us towards the rescuer, as we see in Hebrews, that says, Because of your sin, you can't come in. And that's actually the story of humanity prior to Christ. Because of our sin, we, we can't come into the presence of God. God spent time setting the scene for us, it was necessary that we understood that It was necessary, that we understood our separation from God and yet his desire to relate to his people, to commune with his people. Before the life, death and resurrection of Jesus could be understood as good news, people needed to understand the problem of sin and the problem of separation from God our need of forgiveness, our need of an intermediary, one who would bring us back into relationship with God. And for the Israelites, through the sacrificial system, they had regular bloody reminders that the penalty of sin was death, as sacrifices were offered on their behalf for the forgiveness of sins. They were clear. like There was no doubt in their minds. The consequence of their sin. They were clear that the consequence of rejecting the giver of life was death. We need to be clear on that too. <laughs> and that's part of the reason that the book of Hebrews is so helpful for us. Because it, it, it gathers up this imagery and helps us understand it and see why Jesus came. Guys, we won't be excited about a rescuer if we don't understand that we need rescuing. It makes sense, doesn't it, right? We, we won't be excited about Christ as our saviour unless we understand that there is something that we need saving from, which is the, the righteous judgment of a holy God, the, the just wrath of a holy God, apart from understanding that, then we don't need a saviour. Christ is not so remarkable. So one of the great joys of the book of Hebrews is that it helps us to see these connections. It helps us to join the dots between the Old and New Testament and see how God was preparing his people, preparing their hearts for the arrival of Christ. But it also helps us it helps us to see that we're no different from them, that we need rescue just as they did. And today we're going to read about Jesus as our great high priest, or as we've kind of titled this series, Jesus is Better. Jesus is the Better High Priest. And I just want to give a bit more introduction before we get into the passage because most of us go, priest? (laughs) Like, and we kind of, at best, it's kind of a neutral, slightly blank response. Like, he's the high priest. Like, what's that? Or maybe, tragically, more recently because of the news cycle, our association with a priest is a negative one. One of abuse and Scandal and hypocrisy. And so when we hear Jesus is the great high priest, our hearts don't instantly leap with excitement <laughs> as theirs would have done. And so we need to quickly understand what that means. The, the most important duty of the high priest in the history of Israel was to conduct the service on the Day of Atonement. It was a festival about the forgiveness of sins. It occurred on the 10th day of the seventh month of every year. We're nearly there. Our calendar's different to theirs, but, you know, we're nearly there. And the high priest alone was able to enter the most holy place in the temple, behind the veil, behind that keep out curtain. That said, because of your sin, you can't come in. The high priest was able to go through, beyond that curtain, into the holy place, into the presence of God. But he was only able to go in having made a sacrifice. Actually, lots of sacrifices, but sacrifice for himself and for the people. And he would bring the blood of the sacrifice into the holy place into the presence of God. And it sounds weird to our 21st century Western ears, but would then sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, on the throne of God, in that place, to make atonement for himself and for the people's sins. But not their sins for all time. The sins committed... ...in the preceding year. It's like a reset moment. To bring them back to God... ...that they might find forgiveness. And then the next year... ...they do it again. And the next year... ...they do it again. This continual reminder. And that image of the high priest... ...entering into the most holy place having made a sacrifice for the forgiveness of people's sins, is the image that these verses we're going to read today in Hebrews is tapping into. That's what we're supposed to have in mind. Okay? So that's why I've taken time before we get to the passage to give you some context. So with that mental image in mind, we're going to read these verses. I'm going to pray and we're going to read. Lord, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we ask, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this afternoon? Lord, would you help your word to take root in our hearts and lives this afternoon for your glory? Father, would you speak to us? We thank you that you have spoken by your word. We pray, would you help us to be good listeners this afternoon? Lord, would you apply it to us in such a way that it makes a difference in our lives this week. For your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, we read from chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. The first thing We're not going to pause as much as we read through today, but I want to pause here for a moment. The first thing that we need to know about Jesus as our high priest is that he has passed through the heavens. That is spatial language. It's about where he is. As in to say he has ascended through the heavens, the sky, and is now seated in heaven, in the presence of God at the right hand of the Father. We, we have to, again, try and understand a little bit. In their thinking, the heavens is the sky. The heavens is the universe. And the heavens <laughs> is the presence of God. And Jesus has ascended through the heavens. He is now our high priest in the presence of God, not on one day of the year, behind the curtain in the temple on the day of atonement, but for all time, in the presence of God. Jesus doesn't go once a year, he lives there. In fact, we've already read in Hebrews, he's seated there. And because of that, we have confidence to stay the course in our faith, to not lose heart When things are tough, not give up, but to be confident, we hold fast to our confession because we have a high priest who's in heaven. We carry on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Don't get sidetracked with Melchizedek. We're going to look at him in more detail in a few weeks. It's like a weird, obscure reference that the writer to Hebrews throws in there and then unpacks a bit later. We're going to get there. But just bear with me today. So, what have we just read? Well, a high priest was chosen from amongst the people to represent the people before God and they didn't sit in judgment over the people instead they could sympathize with them because they knew what it was like they knew what it was like to live with temptation and every high priest other than Christ knew what it was in their own weakness to sin and so they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for the people's sins. This is why it was so essential that Jesus was born a man, fully human, so that he could be the true high priest, chosen from among the human race, just as every high priest who was pointing forward to him, chosen from amongst the human race to represent us before God. And being human also able to identify with us in our weakness. Jesus Christ was not insulated or isolated from human experience. He was tempted in every way. Now, that doesn't mean like every single exact temptation. But what we're supposed to understand from it is like the whole variety of temptation every category of temptation Jesus experienced greed lust anger deceit envy bitterness Jesus was tempted to all of these things pride you imagine the temptation knowing who he was the temptation to pride And yet not once did he succumb. Yet not once did he cave in. We're going to look at it more in a moment, but Jesus is a better high priest. Every human priest could identify with the weaknesses of the people who they served. So they had compassion. They were tender. They they weren't harsh and judgmental. It's like, yeah, I know. Like, I get it, I'm weak too. They could identify with their weakness, but ultimately not actually do anything in a lasting sense to help in our weakness. Since sacrifices needed to be offered for their own sin as well. But Jesus, who knew no sin, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins that we might be forgiven. He's a much better priest. And every priest before him had died and been replaced. Aaron, Levi and their descendants, one after another after another. But Jesus is so much superior in that regard too. See, since he is risen from the dead and since he has ascended to the right hand of the father through the heavens and he lives forever and will live forever he is the last priest a priest forever in the holy of holies he will not ever be replaced or superseded his priesthood continues which means if we think back To the day of atonement and the priest that would go in once a year into the temple with the blood of the sacrifice for the atonement of sins. Where is Jesus? Our high priest forever, permanently in the presence of God. The blood of the sacrifice. His priestly duty continues for his people. And will continue forever, continues, his blood continues to speak forgiveness for those who hope in him. Isn't that amazing? Like, I know that I need to hear that this week. Because I know I've fallen short. I'm so glad that I have a high priest whose blood continues to speak forgiveness for me today. We have a high priest who identifies with us, who identifies with us in our weakness, and who is a priest forever. But more importantly than those, we have a priest who is able to save us and deliver us because he has overcome, because he did not give in. And because of that, we're told we can draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace, which we come into the presence of God, confident, not fearing judgment, not fearing rejection, but knowing that we receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This this passage is so rich. See, Our high priest doesn't sit in judgment over our weakness, but he extends mercy and grace to help when we're in need. What a great high priest we have. This is extraordinarily good news. Jesus, who was not spared and did not shy away from the pain and misery that is common to human experience, never once caved in. We read being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, it's just a fancy way of saying when he walked the earth, when he was here as a man, Jesus suffered. And it tells us here He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, or all who submit to him. Now, this idea of being made perfect through his suffering, we looked at a few weeks back in chapter 2. But just to very quickly recap, or if you weren't here, that is not to say That Jesus was in some way lacking or imperfect, and then he became perfect. Jesus was not ever at any point morally lacking, but his moral perfection was in some sense unproven. It was untested in eternity past. Loving relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, the moral perfection of Christ was not tested in the way it was when he walked as a human on earth in the days of his flesh, and he experienced suffering and he was tempted. And so the, the word kind uh, of made perfect there might be more helpful as an English word if we had qualified, that he was qualified through his obedience, he was qualified through his suffering, as in his, his moral perfection was shown to be true. <laughs> was shown to be valid and being morally perfect he was qualified to go to the cross as our perfect sacrifice what's the inverse of that which holds true if if he did not remain morally perfect he would not be qualified to go to the cross as our perfect sacrifice so it was essential that he was made perfect through suffering It's essential that that was tested and proved to be so. He was qualified through suffering to be our high priest, to offer himself as the perfect once and for all sacrifice for our sins. But notice how he handled that suffering and testing. As he suffered as he knew grief, as he faced temptation, we read that he cried out to his Father in heaven with loud cries and tears. Some people think that that's just a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross and and he cried out to the Father, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, yet not my will but yours be done. He submitted himself again in that moment to the will of the Father. And and I I think it certainly does reference that, but I, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, so I'm not about to teach you something crazy, this is pretty well uh, agreed on. This is much broader than that. That in the days of his flesh, He was crying out because he cried out for something particular. What does it say? He cried out to the one who was able to save him from death. That's his heavenly father. And I don't think that death there simply means for his heart to stop beating. I don't think that's about the cross first and foremost actually. I think it's about this. That if he had given into temptation just once. Had he turned his back on his father and not submitted to the perfect will of his father just once, for even a moment, his mission would have failed. He would be no more able to save than any of the other high priests who had gone before him. He would, like them, deserve death. He would need to sacrifice for his own sins. would be an unimaginably large catastrophe. And he knew that. And so under temptation, under suffering, faced with the prospect of giving way to temptation, and the mission being lost, he cried out to his father. Father, Lord, don't let me slip. Keep me pure. Prevent me from giving in. Keep me, hold me, sustain me. Keep my eyes on you. Keep me trusting you. He cried out. Actually, as we should cry out when we face temptation. Right to the end. He never gave in. Under the full weight of temptation. He knew temptation like no one else ever has because he never gave in. James referenced this quote a few weeks back, but C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity wrote this about Christ's experience of temptation and how it might not be the same as ours. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of an army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. And as he lent into the wind, it's not C.S. Lewis's words anymore, but as he leant into the wind, he cried out to his father in heaven Father, sustain me. Give me strength. Help me to stand up under this temptation full of the Spirit. Spirit, strengthen me. Fill me again. Faced with a brutal and humiliating death, he could have acted selfishly. He could have called it off. Made it stop. He could have given in to jealousy or greed when he was with wealthy people. And he had nothing to his name from a material perspective. He could have given in to lust when Mary Magdalene washed his feet with her hair. He could have grown impatient and given way to unrighteous anger when the disciples continually missed the point. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, offered him the easy way out, glory without the cross, adoration without obedience to the Father. He didn't cave. He called out to his heavenly Father and his prayer was answered. That's what we read. He was heard. He was heard. His prayer was answered. He succeeded in his mission. mission. Amazing, isn't it? We have a great high priest. (laughs) Whatever you're facing today, You can come to Him. There's grief. Loss. Temptation. I know what your temptation is today. Temptation to anger. Temptation to jealousy. Temptation to... I don't know. But I bet you do. We have a high priest who is not unable to sympathize. He knows. He knows what you're going through right now. He's been there. He cares for you, in it. And unlike the priests who could not ultimately do anything about your condition, in Jesus, we have a high priest who has overcome. So even where you've given away to temptation this week. Maybe even today where you've given way to temptation. He extends grace to you in your sin. That's what we read earlier, didn't we? That with confidence we may draw near to the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is hope and there is help. So we draw near with confidence, not arrogance or pride or presumption, but confidence. That when we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confident that there is forgiveness and help because our priest lives forever in the presence of the Father We're going to share communion together in a few moments. I want to pray for us as we do. I want to ask you to just take a moment to consider like where does this root for me right now? And maybe for you it's it's, it's not necessarily a particular area of temptation, but you just, you're struggling. You feel like life is a battle right now. You're becoming very aware of your weakness. Maybe you feel, to some extent, just overwhelmed with the stuff of life. I want to encourage you today. We have a high priest who is not unable to identify with our weakness, but who has overcome, and who is able to help in our time of need. Maybe for you it is an area of temptation. Maybe you know that you just led down in the wind. You're just like, I I can't. I'm just going to give in to it. It feels too hard to face it. There's grace and mercy. We have a great high priest who is right now in the presence of the Father having made a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. He's there now. And his blood is speaking forgiveness, grace and mercy in your time of need. There's an invitation to come. So as we come to the table there's no rush but I want to invite you to come when you're ready. And today that might be to come and as we eat and drink together to say Jesus I thank you. (laughs) I thank you that where I feel overwhelmed with the stuff of life you're extending grace and mercy there's help for me you you know what it's like and you draw alongside i'm not alone in this situation i'm not alone in these circumstances but you're with me and by your spirit you're sustaining me maybe it is to come and say lord you know You know my weakness. You know where I've failed even this week. Will I confess that sin again? Would you forgive me and draw near with confidence that there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's help. Help to stand in a time of trouble. Help to stand up in the face of the wind. Help to keep moving forward for his glory and for our good, hey? I'm going to pray and then we're going to come. Lord, <laughs> I thank you that in your grace and in your wisdom and your kindness, you prepared us. You Put all of these things in place that we would understand our need of you and we would understand, Jesus, what you accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that in you, Christ Jesus, we have a better high priest who has made a sacrifice for our sins once and for all. Lord we come to you again now we want to eat and drink remember what you accomplished for us at the cross but remember too the eternal hope we have in you